it is just massive over consumption of water. There's no fooling around anymore. Climate disruption is is pounding on us already. The key for us is we want to protect our waterways. We all we all make mistakes getting started. It's just a matter of seeing if we can help avoid some of those right up front. It amounts to tens of thousands of gallons of water. You're listening to the Lawn and Landscape Radio Network. This is Jimmy Miller, Associate Editor with Lawn and Landscape Magazine. If you're tuning in today, just know that you're jumping into the second part of a mini-series called Choppy Waters, which is on irrigation and water use in the green industry. Check out the first episode on lawnandlandscape.com or wherever you listen to this podcast. And before we begin, here's a quick word from our sponsor. The only app every landscaper needs. CompanyCam makes it dead simple to communicate, document, and problem-solve with guys in the field no matter where you are. CompanyCam brings documentation, communication, and liability protection together in one simple, easy-to-use app for you and your entire team. Take unlimited photos and videos, share custom reports, create flawless before and afters, and even communicate and share progress with homeowners with galleries and project timelines. All from your smartphone. CompanyCam, the only app every landscaper needs. Check it out at companycam.com slash lawn and landscape or in your app store. Okay, back to the show. When we first talked about irrigation, we spoke with several industry experts about what's gone wrong how our industry frequently uses so much water. Now, with the remainder of this mini-series, I wanted to take a deeper dive into how to prevent this overuse of water or why it's happening. It's easy to call out a problem. It's much more difficult to address the why. Here is one possible solution, xeriscaping. When I first reached out to David Salmon at High Country Gardens, I'll be honest, I was a bit intimidated by this concept. I didn't know much about xeriscaping and frankly, I wasn't sure if I was pronouncing it right. But over time, I got familiar with the concepts. It helped that David sent me eight principles of eco-friendly xeriscaping. These were things like planning and designing landscapes that provide for pollinators and using regionally suitable plants like native species to that area. It was fascinating. And I wanted to know more about how somebody gets into this. I've been in the nursery and greenhouse business since 1984 and have spent many years uh, developing perennials and uh, regionally suitable plants for the western United States, specializing in xeric uh, natives and old world varieties. Now, how did you, how did you get involved with it? Like, what was the appeal, um, you know, about working greenhouses? Well, it was something that I always uh, wanted to do from uh, time in high school and. Uh, I ended up going to Colorado State University up in Fort Collins, Colorado to study horticultural science and that uh, further nurtured my interest in uh, being a a commercial greenhouse grower and uh, after a few years of uh, working in some greenhouses in uh, the Denver area, uh, I moved back to uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. My my family's from uh, New Mexico and uh, started uh, as a grower for uh, a local nursery in Santa Fe and then had the opportunity to 
uh, purchase a property with a greenhouse on it the following year. So I got myself into the greenhouse business in, in uh, 84 and have been doing that uh, ever since. David believes the reason these principles haven't caught on yet is because landscapers haven't quite opened their minds to it yet. I think that one of the big changes for uh, landscapers would be to acquaint themselves with uh, perhaps a a less traditional palette of plants that would include uh, a lot of natives and uh, what I call regionally suitable old world plants. And I use the term old world referring to plants from uh, Europe, Asia, uh, Southern Africa, um, because we grow a tremendous number of old world plants. All our fruit trees essentially are old world and lilacs and so many of our uh, common landscape plants are old world. But I think that learning about uh, uh, using uh, natives and sourcing natives is a a super important part of uh, a conversion to uh, xeriscaping in customers' gardens. I think that it's important that uh, landscapers um, convert to uh, a more natural and or, where possible, organic style of gardening and uh, landscape maintenance. I think the, uh, the age of uh, constantly just applying fertilizers and fungicides and all the chemicals that are traditional parts of landscaping, that uh, that has to go because uh, it's very detrimental to the uh, natural uh, habitats that surround our uh, urban, suburban, and rural areas. And then I would say that in, in drier areas, uh, particularly the western half of the United States, Landscapers need to learn how to incorporate uh, passive water harvesting. In other words, taking water from roofs and uh, other hard surfaces and instead of just flushing it down the storm drain to uh, apply it to the soil and use the soil as a storage tank for water, which of course helps uh, supplement the uh, water needs of the xeric plants. So I would say those are the, the big three uh, practices that uh, would shift when practicing xeriscaping. I find it interesting you reference, you know, this age where, you know, we're just applying fertilizer and fungicides. Um, so do you receive a lot of pushback from landscapers when you tell them that? Like, what is the general reaction when you pitch this kind of, you know, new way of thinking for landscapers? Well, I just tell them to learn how to do it because that's uh, we're, we're just killing the planet with chemicals. Have you noticed a wider, you know, adoption of, you know, the practices that you're talking about? I think that varies regionally. I think there are areas of the country where uh, chemicals are a way of life and they're just not going to get away from it. And that's a gigantic too bad. But there are also other areas of the country, particularly uh, 
like Santa Fe, for example, uh, much of the front range of uh, Colorado and more progressive uh, communities are, are very accepting of it. So it just, it really depends. Uh, but I think it's up to our industry to educate people in the importance of the switching. I think the expectations of customers need to be modified because the this perfect lawn scenario where there's no clover or, or you know, dandelions or anything like that, that's just not realistic and the only way that that's been obtained in the past is just intensive chemical use so i think that uh, our industry needs to just keep pitching it and uh, educate customers because once they understand i think they're much more receptive to it and as i said there's no fooling around anymore climate disruption is is pounding on us already and uh, Landscaping and gardening can be a big positive in terms of combating uh, climate disruption and trying to uh, preserve habitat and other aspects of uh, the planet's ecology. So I, I just don't think it's uh, an option anymore. I know that you were referencing regions of the country that might not ever fully get on board with this, um, but in terms of xeriscaping, um, are you primarily seeing it out in, in the Western United States? Well, I think it's important to realize that, um, even though xeriscaping was originally conceptualized, uh, actually in the, by the Denver Metropolitan Water Board back in the early eighties, specifically as a way to save water for me. Xeriscaping has morphed over the past nearly 30 years that I've been practicing it to encompass more than just saving water, which includes, as we've already discussed, uh, water harvesting, uh, organic gardening techniques, regionally suitable plants. So the water saving part of it, you know, out here in the West, you have to be an idiot not to, uh, it's just staring us in the face. We've here in New Mexico, we've been in a, we've been in a serious drought for the last decade. I mean, serious, like hundred year intensity drought for the last 10 years. And we've had numerous, um, droughts before then, although not as uh, prolonged. And, um, so the, the water saving part is, uh, I think, uh, kind of not an option anymore because it's either you save water on your landscape or you don't have one. If you haven't figured it out yet, David believes water overuse has always been a major problem. Even still, he believes this new way of thinking shouldn't be born from feeling bad about past mistakes. It should be embraced as a way of changing things moving ahead. Well, it's always been a, a major concern with uh, to anybody that, that just pays attention. Uh, and looks at uh, the growing populations and the diminishing water supply. So, uh, but uh, a lot of places still haven't adopted it. I think the main driver of water conservation is the cost of the water. 
and unfortunately many uh, even western communities where uh, the water supplies are extremely constrained um, they haven't been uh, charging enough for the water so people waste it but when water is expensive like here it is in santa fe then people pay attention to water conservation when it hits their pocketbooks unfortunately it's not a uh, you know it's not a uh, a moral decision or anything like that. It's just like, holy cow, look at my water bill this, this month. Uh, I better uh, I better cut back. And then if they're interested in their in keeping their yards looking nice, then they then they start uh, utilizing the the xeric principles and using xeric plants. But uh, the important thing to me is xeriscaping uh, should not be kind of guilt induced because a lot of people have envisioned xeriscaping as just a, a bunch of gravel in the front yard and, uh, you know, maybe a scraggly yucca or other kind of desert plant out in the front. But it's just not that at all. Xeriscapes are actually more beautiful and certainly more uh, nurturing to the environment than traditional landscapes. So I, I want to be sure that xeriscaping, it's just not a, a, a guilt trip. Oh, gosh, I... I better do this, but it, it's for people that want a beautiful yard, it's an excellent uh, methodology to follow. One of the major points of contention regarding xeriscaping is how it looks. Many people, he says, have this idea of what landscape should look like. David thinks a xeriscape can still look beautiful. A well-designed xeriscape, you won't, you won't notice it. You know, if you want lawn, there's good low, uh, low water uh, native uh, turf grasses that can be used. Uh, a xeriscape could be just as traditional looking as, as uh, the old model using these alternative plants and in many ways will be much more colorful because frankly our traditional methods of landscaping are just boring. You know, it's just clipped shrubs and lawn and uh, xeriscaping is just so much more than that and reincorporates particularly uh, the eco-style xeriscaping that, uh, that I've been practicing and preaching about. It's all about planting uh, flowers, keeping a succession of plants in bloom by choosing, you know, uh, spring bloomers, summer bloomers, fall bloomers, because you want to keep your pollinators well-fed, but you can't just serve breakfast and then forget lunch and dinner. In other words, you could feed, it's easy to have lots of flowers in the spring, the, the pollinators need lunch, which is summer, and dinner, which is in the fall. So xeriscapes really, uh, it, when done properly, are actually more interesting and more colorful uh, plants that, for example, in, in Santa Fe, I can't remember the last time we had a, an average to good rainfall year, but normally we get 12 to 14 inches of precipitation a year. Well, the, zero, the regionally suitable xeric plants that we use here in Santa Fe they thrive on 12 inches of rain a year. They're not just drought tolerant. In other words, they just kind of hang on to wait for the return of ample moisture. They actually perform under low water conditions. So I think that that's a, a real important thing to remember when customers are concerned about the cost of their water versus having nothing in their yard. So absolutely with the right uh, palette of plants, their, their water bills, uh, you know, you don't have to, even in, in uh, dry uh, areas like uh, northern New Mexico, you know, once things are established, a good deep watering once a week 
once every 10 days keeps the yard looking great instead of having to water every other day or every day, which a, a lot of um, traditional um, lawn maintenance folks recommend. Hmm. Now, you don't have to be on the West Coast or in the Western United States to practice this, right? Like you could be in, you know, Maryland or the Midwest and still install Xeriscapes, right? Or or am I am I wrong about that? No, you're absolutely um, correct because the only thing that really changes as you move uh, east of the Mississippi is that the meaning of a xeric plant uh, changes a little bit in that uh, you probably, well, a lot of eastern gardeners don't have irrigation. Out here in the west, it's, it's mandatory. If you don't have irrigation, you really don't have you know, it's not, uh, it's a more limited palette of plants. So all of the, uh, the other principles, I think, uh, well, I know still apply. So it's, it's really a, a mindset and a sense of, and a set of principles to guide your gardening decisions. So xeriscaping is absolutely applicable to everyone in the entire country and actually you know you get down into uh like uh, florida you know they of course they get depends on the year but they they have bad drought years too so uh you know in in those instances uh, more xeric plants are appropriate but that's the only variable that really changes all of the other principles are still uh, relevant and uh, important david knows that people won't adopt xeriscaping overnight but Finding ways to better inform your landscape design can help you save water, money, and possibly the environment. I think the main thing to emphasize is that wherever you're gardening, that these uh, principles will uh, help guide both the, the landscapers and the homeowners into uh, making more informed decisions as to plant choices, plant placement, uh, landscape design, and realizing that these factors all make for a really stunning garden and landscape, and that the importance uh, of a well-done landscape using the right palette of plants is just so environmentally friendly and so important for supporting pollinators, uh, for supporting songbirds. You know, our songbird populations are crashing across the country. The monarch is doomed. Unfortunately, we're, we're not going to be able to bring it back because of, a, you know, a primarily chemical use and habitat destruction. So I think that Xeriscaping is really uh, just a great philosophy to embrace that benefits not only the homeowner and the landscaper that services it, but the, but the uh, regional ecology. Uh, I think that the time where our landscapes, all we need to be concerned about is just that they're beautiful. I think that we can combine beauty and functionality in terms of habitat benefit without sacrificing any joy or, or uh, color out in our yards. Stay tuned for more episodes of Choppy Waters, and we'll catch you next time.